Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So super excited about the guest that we have today. Definitely is a story where we're going to be learning a lot about building, pivoting, financing, scaling, coronavirus, crazy stories with uh, big customers, you name it. I don't want to make anyone wait any longer. So without further ado, let's, let's welcome our guest today, Mayan Cohen. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Alejandro. Super excited to be here. So originally born in Israel and obviously there in Startup Nation and I guess running around the fields, the fields there. So tell us about your life, your upbringings. <laughs> Thanks for having me and super excited to tell you more about myself and the company and share some of our experiences. So I grew up in Israel, as you said, uh, in a small town and spent most of my childhood running around potato fields and investigating insects and plants and dreaming of one day be becoming a scientist, which I kind of am today. So it was really, really fun and a very free type of childhood. Israel is a weird country in which they let the kids do a lot of crazy things. So uh, when I was 16, I decided that I want to take my professional life one step for forward as a scientist. And I did an EMT class and started volunteering on ambulances. And I think that really connected me to touching people's lives and uh, saving lives. So I'm proud to say that I had uh, several uh, successful resuscitations of people that went through heart attacks during that time. So it was really fun, uh, you know, jumping on an ambulance in the middle of the night with like, there's somebody, you know, lying on the floor. We don't know what's going on. And you come in and you literally bring them back to life. So I think that's also when my Love for adrenaline started. <laughs> uh, so, but out of, out of all things, Mayan, you know, to volunteer for, I mean, volunteering for ambulances and resuscitating people at 16 years old. I mean, I remember at 16 years old, I was playing PlayStation and not doing much. So, what triggered that for you? <laughs> I don't really know. I was always drawn to do things that are a little bit crazy and a little bit impossible and are kind of. Uh, are you sure you want to do this? Uh, so I think that's that's where it started, combined with a true passion for you know science, medicine, healthcare, and 
one of my friends started volunteering in the ambulances um, and he told me about the crazy things that they do there. And I'm like, really? They let you do that? You're like, you know, you actually do the CPR and all that. And he's like, yeah, you have to wait for it. You have to like sit and like spend a few nights and do a lot of like very like slow type of calls. But in the end, you know, once in a while you get a chance to really, you know, go out and save somebody from a car accident or uh, from a heart attack. So I get super, super jazzed up about that. And and that became a passion. So I spent a lot of nights sleeping at the, the ambulance station and waiting for a call. Wow. And when you're, just out of curiosity, I mean, when you're resuscitating people and when you're like in like a first responder like that, you obviously get to see a lot of stuff. I mean, what, what kind of appreciation did that give you to life? And more important than that, that I'm sure, you know, it has served you as, a, as an entrepreneur, you know, on how to deal with uncertainty. That's a great question. So I think seeing how fragile life is, uh, is something that I started valuing at a very young age. So the you only live once type of realization that a lot of people have at an older age uh, is something that I realized very, very young. Uh, and unfortunately came to meet me again in several stations throughout my life that like, do what you want to do, be passionate about the things you want to do, because you're really you only live once. And it also, you know, being a first responder, you have to function no matter what's going on around you. And, you know, no matter what's, what's the situation you need to deal with at crisis, sometimes you just need to put your feelings aside for a moment, deal with the situation and optimize uh, the resources that you have in front of you. And later you can process uh, what just happened, but you don't have time to panic. You don't have time to, to overthink things. I think that's one of the reasons uh, and one of the key shaping experiences that got me to be a very, very decisive person. Sometimes you just need to look at the facts and even if you don't have all the information, you make a decision and you go and you deal with it, you know, with everything else that going, go, went on around you uh, a little bit later. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I'm sure it served you well, you know, with uh, doing startups because that's what this is all about, right? But, but in your case, I mean, another uh, pivotal moment was uh, joining the army. You know, obviously there in, in, in Israel is mandatory. Uh, but in this case for you, I'm sure that there's a lot that you learn around leadership. What were some of the things that you learned around leadership and what were you doing in the army? Sure. So when I got drafted to the army, they let you fill in a survey. Uh, again, going back to that age, I was an adrenaline junkie and I was very patriotic. I wanted to serve my country the best way I can. So I signed up for the most frontline position that existed that back then for women. Today, they actually have more. But I signed up to be a trainer for field platoons. And that means uh, I got a chance to train and technically command soldiers that were older than me uh, that came from all shapes and sizes of the country, uh, including people that had very rough backgrounds. Uh, and I was, you know, an 18-year-old girl coming in uh, and they needed to do what I'd need them to do. <laughs> so that was a huge lesson about leadership. I remember coming in at the beginning and, you know, yelling at them or telling them that's what we need to do and that's it. And they were just looking at me with like, Huh. <laughs> She's trying to tell us what to do. That's so cute. I think that taught me a lot about leadership. And uh, it took me a few months to figure out, you know, how I can actually harness people to do what I need them to do. If they're stronger, if they're angrier, uh, if they, they're lazier, they don't want to do things. So you, you deal with all kinds of personalities. But in the end, you need to get along and you need to, to make things work, even with people that you don't always um like or necessarily connect to. So that served me very well later in my career as well. That's what um, what my army service taught me. Uh, I was 
driving tanks. I was shooting heavy mortars. Uh, the other lesson I would say from all of that is that it really literally taught me how to break through walls, uh, which again is something that I, I use a lot today uh, working as an entrepreneur in the healthcare field that has tons of walls everywhere and you need to be very persistent in, in pushing things sometimes uh, and finding a way to get through. So in, in your case, after the Army, you studied uh, biotechnology and then you also did your MBA. Uh, I'm curious, like, what, what pushed you to get the, the MBA? Because, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, a little bit different from, uh, from the biotech, you know, type of approach that, that, that you were going after. So, so why an MBA? So the MBA came after a very, very um, sad realization of my life. Uh, I was doing my, my final projects in my biotech degree. Um, and I was basically passing liquids from one jar to another um, for six months in order to do one experiment. And although as a kid I dreamed to be a scientist, I realized that this is actually how biotech scientist life look like. It's very slow, very, very repetitive, actually very technical in a lot of situations. And you just sit by yourself in a lab, or maybe there's one person behind you that's also super, super quiet. And I realized that this is not the life that I can live. So although I'm super passionate about science, I need to find a way to bring my science skill set uh, into the world in a different setting. Uh, and I can't really sit in a lab for the rest of my life. So I decided to switch to business, did my MBA, uh, and after that, I started working in management consulting. So in consulting, you know, one of the things that, um, that I've encountered is that very successful entrepreneurs that, that I've interviewed that have come on the show had the background in, in, in consulting, management consulting. And, and one of the things that they teach you is how you're able to grab a, a really big problem and you break it down into small problems, and then you start tackling each one of those problems. So I mean, did you see any of that, you know, training or approach? And, and also, like, what did you really learn about consulting or what makes people that, you know, go to management consulting end up being such great entrepreneurs later on? That's a great question. I think consulting draws entrepreneurial types that tend to be successful because, as our HR person once told me, like, you're all a bunch of really smart, uh, talented people that don't like to focus only on one problem and keep it going, but actually need a lot of diversity in your in your day to day. And you like that. And you're not sure what you want to do with your career. That's why you're here. So it's an incredible training ground for business skill set. And it's incredible training grounds for learning a lot of different skills in the business world. You basically get a first seat uh, to huge leadership decisions, um, to building strategy, you can see what works. You can see what doesn't work. You get a chance to visit a lot of different organizations and understand their cultures and what that and how that actually contributes or hurts their success. And I got a chance to, you know, lead or contribute to huge moves from merger and acquisition from the time you write, you know, the synergy deck to the to the fact that you actually need to combine the two companies and launch it. And sometimes you have to do layoffs as part of that. Uh, and you deal with a lot of human and business situations at the same time. I've seen a lot of very successful price strategies, and I had to fix a lot of uh, unsuccessful price strategies. Uh, so <clears throat> you can see how painful it can be um, if you have the wrong strategy in place or if you don't have the right guardrail in place. And you can see the dilemmas that CEOs have anywhere from growth engines of how to grow the company. That's exactly, it's funny. But uh, last week, we, we did a workshop uh, in our company about growth engines for the next two years. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I've never done it for my own company. And we're at a point where we're now you know, we have an established enough business that we actually need to start thinking about new growth engines for the future. 
So I think it's an incredible learning ground for all kinds of uh, business skill sets. And as they say, uh, ideas, you know, they're kind of like dormant. You know, they take time to to incubate. And and I guess that for you, that experience as a teenager, you know, in your in your 16s, um, you know, driving ambulances and resuscitating people, you know, I guess that 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 was like the seed that uh, had to be planted. And and definitely, you know, one thing that that pushed you over the edge and and really was a massive trigger uh, that led you into into building the business. You know, was uh, the unfortunate diagnosed uh, of uh, your boyfriend at the time. So, 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 tell us about what happened there, and and what were the sequence of events that really ended up you bringing you know this company to life. Sure. So that's a very personal story. Uh, I was 25, uh, and my boyfriend at the time was starting to have headaches, and I saw all the signs, and things just didn't add up. Um, sometimes you have a gut feeling, but gut feelings are actually, now I know we're actually based on a lot of facts and experience that you have and it was going on for a while. He was tested by doctors. Everything was fine. And one day he woke up with a headache and I'm like, listen, something is wrong. Like there's no chance that you're 26 and you're having this level of headaches and we need to go to the hospital now and you need to get checked in a hospital, not by a doctor. And he looked at me and I'm like, no, no, we're doing it now. Within a few hours, they diagnosed a brain tumor. He was already up for very urgent surgery. He was very close to losing his eyesight at the time. And the sky fell on me. I was 25, living with my boyfriend, and uh, I became a caregiver. And for two years, I collected medical records, binder, and I was tracking vital signs at home on paper and in Excel. And I spent two or three hours every night trying to understand what's going on. Is he doing better? Is he doing worse? Although I had scientific background, I can read a lab result. It was really, really hard to understand what was going on and what can we do about it as patients. You have, you know, five, 10 minute window with the doctor to ask questions. Another month passes by. And um, there's actually so much you can do as a patient or as a caregiver to really help uh, the situation. There's research that shows that, by the way, in any condition, not just cancer, but also heart and uh, muscular skeleton, that your social support, your nutrition, the sun exposure that you have, uh, your exercise levels. There's so many factors that can completely affect the course of your disease and healing from death to uh, full recovery that doctors don't really train you on. Uh, and sometimes they don't even have the knowledge themselves. The, the toolkit that they have is mostly uh, drugs and um, surgeries. And then they give you very vague lifestyle tips around, you know, hey, you need to eat better and exercise more and don't be so stressed. Great. <laughs> that's, not, that's not very helpful. Yeah, no and I think that's when I realized that patients just don't have any tools to understand and improve their own health. And that's what I want to do. Things got to get better. He went into remission. Uh, and after he got better, I decided that that's what I wanted to do. So I quit my job, found an incredible co-founder co uh, whose expertise is design and UX. Uh, and we were off to the races with Hello Heart. And that was the time you said hello to Hello Heart. All right, yes. so good stuff. So, so what were what were why did how did you come across this co-founder? And obviously, you had this idea now, and and you needed someone to really help you on this. So, why did you think that that this co-founder was the one? And how did you go about really enrolling uh, this person into becoming you know the, the the person you would share the journey with? Sure. So Ziv and I know each other from way back uh, and we used to run all kinds of ideas together. And every time I came to him with a startup idea, he would just like laugh or, you know, tell me that it's the worst idea I've ever heard. 
and I would challenge him on a lot of things. He was head of design at eBay's Innovation Center at the time. And when I came up with Hello Heart, I actually didn't run it by Ziv initially. And I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And I took a few months to think about it for real. Uh, and I knew that it's going to be very, very challenging because it's a very big mission to empower people to understand and improve their health. But I decided that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and this time I'm taking it seriously with Ziv too. So I took him to dinner. I ordered a bottle of wine. Ziv never drinks. Uh, so I got him a little bit drunk after like half a glass of wine. He was done. And then I pitched. <laughs> and when he listened to the story and when he listened to the mission, he just looked at me and he's like, okay, I'm in. I need two months to leave eBay. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's help people. So it was very easy to convince him relatively. But why Ziv? Why design? Uh, our approach is very different. I'm coming. We're coming to this uh, mission from the patient side or the member side or the people side, not from the clinician side, which means that the make or break of a company like this is the user experience. So building a very, very slick, simple, easy to use uh, user experience that's personalized to each one of our members is the key success factor of Hello Heart. Um, so I knew that design is going to be the make or break of the company. So that was the first person I needed to come in. And what is the, for the people that are listening to get it, what is the business model of Hello Heart? Sure. So today, Hello Heart is basically a software solution that helps people understand and improve their heart health. It's coupled with a wireless blood pressure cuff uh, for the members. Our business model is B2B2C. So we sell through uh, self-insured employers and health funds. We have over 50 large, mostly Fortune 500 clients today. And the nice thing is that it's a win-win-win. So the employers are saving money. We just had a study that was that was issued that showed that we save over $1,800 per member per year on, on cardiac care because we were able to prevent catastrophic events in time mostly and avoid inpatient surgeries, basically ER visits and expensive imaging and just keep patients more with a PCP and have them manage their own condition. And it's a win for the patient because basically you get a tool that really helps you understand what happens inside your body. You can catch risk in time and hopefully prevent heart attacks and strokes. And it's free for you. And it's obviously a win for Hello Heart because we can get both compensated for our services, but also we have an incredible distribution channel uh, to get to people. And the reality is that a lot of people today with chronic condition, although there's more and more consumerization of healthcare, for chronic conditions, people still expect to get solutions from either their provider or their employer or health plan. So we have to play with, with one of the sides. And we found uh, payers and employers as a much stronger partner for us because our interests are very aligned. We want to prevent serious uh, and catastrophic events from happening together. And why executing in Silicon Valley versus executing back in Israel? The sad truth is that I tried <laughs> and nobody understood what I want. Uh, digital health, we started eight years ago. It wasn't even a market. It wasn't an idea of like the world is going to go into digital health. There was some health tech, mostly EMRs, but it wasn't really digital health. So people just didn't understand what I want. The tech scene in Israel is incredible, but there was no digital health scene in Israel. And I actually pounded on many, many doors for uh, the very small community of investors that said that they like digital health and nobody understood what, what do I want. So I packed my bags, uh, took a suitcase and came to Silicon Valley with a suitcase and a bike and started biking myself into building network and uh, talking to angel investors until we got our seed run. That's incredible. I mean, obviously, as, um, as an immigrant, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and I relate myself to that too, you know, coming here to the U.S., not knowing anyone and figuring out your way and especially like 
building up those relationships with, with investors is not easy. So, so I guess for, for some of the people that are listening, you know, and that are wondering, oh, you know, maybe I should go to the U.S. and build my network too. I mean, what, what are the, the, the biggest lessons that you learned from, from going about building your network from nothing, coming to a country, you know, where, where you essentially, you know, didn't really know much? So I think Silicon Valley has an incredible culture of paid forward and people are always excited to talk to entrepreneurs if you respect their time. So if you tell, if you reach out to a person uh, and tell them, hey, can I have a quick coffee or a quick conversation? I want to get your advice and explain why them and invest the time in actually getting to know them, coupled with the true excitement and enthusiasm that you have as an entrepreneur, you can open a lot of doors and people are always happy to help. Until today, by the way, I had so many coffee meetings and so many people helped me when I was just entering the US. I make sure that I spend at least two or three meetings every week helping other entrepreneurs that reach out to me and ask for help today. So I make sure that, you know, I think I'm, I still do it. And I think I'm still in debt for humanity around the amount of help that I got when I started off. It's possible if you're nice to people, if you respect their time, if you respect their advice, and if you are telling a really, really compelling story with true passion of what you're doing, Silicon Valley is a place for dreamers, as I say. Uh, so um, there's a lot of people that would love to help you and share their experience. Good stuff. And, and in your case, you know, you were talking about, you know, meetings with investors and so forth. How much capital have you guys uh, raised so far as of today for Hello Heart? Sure. Uh, so we raised so far $70 million. We're a pretty capital efficient company. So we're growing very fast. And uh, we actually had cash flow positive back in 2020. We're investing a lot more in growth now. So our last run was larger. It was 45. But uh, we actually made it pretty far at the beginning with not a lot of cash. Uh, that taught us all to be very, very efficient, innovative, automate a lot of things, and build to scale instead of just throwing a bunch of people at everything you, at every problem that you have. And the last round... The last round that you guys did was in May. So that was your Series C. And you were alluding to it now, you know, on, on investing in growth. What is that moment where, and perhaps, you know, this was more like the shift from Series A to Series B, but what does it look like when you go from being an early stage to all of a sudden you're like in growth stage mode? What, what, what are the main differences? There's a few differences. First, I don't know the names of everybody that's in the company today. That happened a few weeks ago, and that was a shock to me. I think. In early days, the CEO can be the only engine in the company. And as you scale, you need to work with a team. You know, you're, you're the, the main engine. You're like driving the initiatives. Everything happens super fast. Uh, when people get down, you encourage them. You grow a lot of people. A lot of people grew in Hello Heart and grew their career. Some of them are, you know, founders and entrepreneurs themselves today. Some are tech executives. But you teach, you grow you know, but you're the main engine. As the company grows, you have to create more engines and you have to hire people that can, you know, build their own teams and senior teams that can, that can um, delegate work and drive a lot of initiatives themselves. So I think that's the main thing for me, knowing I can trust other strong executives that work alongside me, build their own teams, build their own way of operating, uh, drive their own passion and energy into their teams 
and also be, you know, very calm with me not knowing what happens across the company and be able to trust a lot of people that work with you. Uh, a lot of CEOs tend to be control freaks. So am I. So being able to trust the people you work with is, is very, very important. It took me some time to, to get to that point. Now I have an incredible team that I can trust with, you know, without even looking back. And when I go on vacations, I just close my phone and that's it. But getting to that point, I think, is, is the biggest difference in mindset. Hiring people that are better than you, that you can trust and letting them work. And how, how big is Hello Heart today for the people that are listening to get an idea? Anything that you can share in terms of number of employees or anything else? Sure. We we're 130 employees today. Uh, we're still a very lean and effective company. I think one of the magical things about what we do in our product is that we're able to have very strong clinical outcomes at scale using software only. That's what makes it so scalable. Uh, for members, it also is a huge advantage because we're basically... We basically destroyed this model of like a nurse needs to call you or a coach needs to call you in order for you to change your behavior. We're able to do it with software only. So nobody calls you. It's super private. You can do it anytime, anywhere, and it's tailored to your specific behavior. So it's an incredible value proposition for the member. And also financially, I don't need, you know, 500 or 2,000 or 20,000 people to make uh, an impact on hundreds of thousands and millions of lives. Got it. So, so imagine, imagine Mayan that you go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of Hello Heart is fully realized. What does that world look like? In a world that Hello Heart is fully realized, every person that have a heart risk condition have Hello Heart on their phone. They wake up in the morning, they can check their blood pressure, they can look at their cholesterol results, they can understand their own health incrementally, they're continuing to improve their health. Uh, if they fall off the wagon, I call it, and something happened, they moved, they have a new baby, something happened in their life, and they're going back in terms of lifestyle, the app will continue to bring them back to life. And we're saving millions of lives every year because we're able to catch heart attacks and strokes in time and get these patients to get diagnosed and, um, and treated instead of getting there when it's already sometimes too late. And they're either they either pass away or they're having very serious damage that, you know, shorten their lifespan and quality of life. So if I can fall asleep and wake up, that's, that's the world I would like to live in. That looks like a beautiful world to me. And uh, imagine, you know, now, I mean, incredible, the, the journey that you've had with Hello Heart, you know, all the way dating back to 2013 when you got started. I mean, that, that's a lot of years in in I, I would say dog years in startups, you know, because it's it's tremendous. Now the the experience and the ups, the downs. If you were able to go back in time, and you had the opportunity of having a chat with your younger self, maybe it's that that younger Maya that, you know, now is stuck with all these medical records and figuring things out and really realizing that there's something there that that could be done from a business perspective. What would give? What would be that one piece of business advice that you would give to your younger self, to that younger Mayan, before launching Hello Heart, and why? Given what you know now, I would say that the vision and the mission will always be key. I come from a business background and a science background, so I'm very data driven. I'm very KPI driven, and that's always, you know, what what keeps me going. But it's amazing to see eight years later that still. Hiring employees, bringing new investors on board, bringing clients on board uh, and signing them up 
in the end, what differentiates us as a company is that we actually care and that our mission is what drives us, including me. And in the end, that was what wins over everything else, every competition that we have with an employee, with a client, with an investor. The business metrics have to be there, but in the end, the business metrics are there because of the mission and the passion that me and the rest of the team, of course, bring to life. Uh, so don't, don't forget to continue to be led by the mission and the vision and get distracted with KPIs. Because sometimes in your day-to-day, you get there. And then, you know, when, when I take a step back of like, so why us or why, you know, why Hello Heart? And I sit in front of people and tell me like, well, I hear a pitch every day and it's all about KPIs and savings and blah, 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 and growth. But like, this is different. You guys actually do that because you care. And because you care, I know I'm going to get good service. I know you're going to get very far. I know you're going to fight through obstacles when they come up. Um, so continue to keep the passion alive no matter what happens. <laughs> And do it because you actually want to do it. Oh, yeah. During the early days, that's critical because that passion is what, you know, especially during the tough days, which there are 99% of them at the beginning, that passion, you know, when you're having a tough day, you know, it's all a matter of of reminding yourself why you got started in first place. So I couldn't agree more with with letting that passion, you know, uh, keep you, you know, in that driven, you know, type of type of mood. So in your case, Mayan, what is a book that you wish you would have read sooner? Oh, wow. Uh, my favorite book is an entrepreneur of all times is The Hard Thing About the Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. I probably yes. read it 20 times to date. By the way, Ben Horowitz is not one of our investors, but I still have a ton of respect for him because of that. And one of the chapters I keep reading, uh, as you said, the entrepreneurial journey is hard. There's a lot of bad days at the beginning. You still have bad days early, later on, but they're a little bit less, but they still come. And when they come, there's more at stake. It has a chapter about uh, the fight the fight you have with yourself about why am I continuing to do this? And that's uh, one of the, the hardest thing that I think entrepreneurs need to do to figure out and find the strength within themselves, how to deal with very tough challenges that they deal with uh, and continue to fight forward and not quit even in tough days. Amazing. So Maya, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Sure. You can go to my LinkedIn account. It's Mayan. Gonan Cohen, or uh, you can go to our website, or you can email me, Mayan, M-A-A-Y-A-N, at helloheart.com. Always happy to help. Uh, Always happy to meet new people in times where I have time for new meetings. Uh, And thank you so much for listening. Amazing. Well, Mayan, thank you so, so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you, Alejandro, for the opportunity. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.